0: Welcome to this new nutrition business podcast. My name is Julian Mallettin, and today I'm going to be talking to you about one of the biggest failures in food industry history. It's not the failure of a, an individual brand, it's the failure of lots of brands. It's the failure of a complete category. And which is that category? It is plant-based meat substitutes. And what do we mean by meat substitutes? Well, these are things you would all have seen in the supermarket. They're things like nuggets, sausages, and burgers. Normally, they have about 15 to 20 ingredients so that they all hold together. They're based on plant proteins like yellow pea, soy, and wheat. And then they've given some flavoring, so they taste like beef or lamb. And the idea behind these from the companies who began promoting them probably about 10 years ago was that people would willingly switch away from consuming meat for reasons of health and sustainability, and they would choose meat substitutes instead. So they weren't going after classic vegans and vegetarians, but really the much larger market of flexitarians and omnivores. So effectively, they were aiming to be a nicotine patch for meat eaters, giving them the taste and texture similar to meat, but enabling them to eat less. However, it has not worked out as well as anticipated. Despite being backed by the biggest ever PR campaign in the whole of food industry history, which ran from about 2016 to 2021, and let's face it, it's been almost impossible to look at any media source for the past five or six years without being told that the future is meat substitutes, despite being backed by $9 billion in investment from people like Bill Gates And lots of people from Silicon Valley, uh, Blue Horizon and Cola Ventures. Neither of these things has turned out to be any kind of advantage. And how do we know? Well, the Financial Times, which is published in London and is possibly Europe's biggest business daily, on the 18th of September published The Real Sales Figures. And what it shows us is that the US market, which is the biggest market for meat substitutes, has not only stalled, but is actually shrinking. So the U.S. meat substitutes category dates back to the 1970s. The biggest brand in that category is called Morningstar, and it belongs to Kellogg. And um, it's been a niche for a long time. And into that niche entered companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and about 40 or 50 others um, over the period from about 2016 onwards. And the amount of money they put into getting shelf space and marketing and PR resulted in the category growing. And then you get to 2020, and substitutes had taken about a 1.4% market share. However, that stalled in 2021. And as the Financial Times shows, using actual supermarket sales data, the category in 2022 has begun to shrink. In the UK, it's a similar story. Plant-based meat substitutes are a niche, grew steadily up until 2021, and in 2022 – sales have begun to shrink and it's not just a question of retail sales shrinking which is bad enough. The biggest challenge that lots of companies in this category face is that they are nowhere near profitable. At New Nutrition Business we were shown the financials of 100 meat substitute makers in Australia, New Zealand, in Europe, the UK and the United States and there wasn't one of them that was making any money. In fact, on average, they had about $10 to $12 million of cumulative losses on their balance sheets. And looking at their financials, it was almost impossible to see how any of them was going to get to profitability, even if the good times had continued. So, what's the problem? Why have people not bought meat substitutes in the way that was hoped for? And why can't these companies make any money? Well, essentially, all the companies involved in this area made Lots of very basic classic mistakes. Number one, they completely forgot that when people eat food, what matters is the taste and the texture. They want pleasure and they want enjoyment. And what the companies in this area have done is they've taken lots of industrial processed ingredients, clagged it together with proteins, added some flavor, told themselves it compared to meat and then gone to meat eaters and said, this is something you can swap in. difficulty is most people don't agree. If you fail to meet consumer expectations of taste and enjoyment, you fail. Now, to give you a a really good example, there's a Canadian company called Maple Leaf Foods. They sell meat. They also sell plant-based burgers and the like. And they have been admirably open. They told their shareholders in 2022 that consumers were trying the product. They said consumer trial rates were super high, with 60% of US households trying these burgers. But they said consumers' needs were simply not met, and they did not make repeat purchases. As a result, the category did not reach expected levels of habituation, had very high lapse rates, and very low buy rates. Put in simple non-marketing terms, people tried them once, found they didn't like the taste, and didn't buy them again. This is absolutely fundamental, isn't it? Now, you'd imagine that all those smart Silicon Valley investors who piled their money into this would think about the importance of understanding food and why people eat it and the importance of making it taste good. But apparently they're not that, that smart. And Bill Gates, who is one of the investors in this field, is actually quoted as saying that people will be able to, quote, get used to the taste of plant-based meats. Sorry, Bill. That's not how reality works. What else did the companies do wrong? Well, they overestimated the size of the opportunity. And unfortunately, this is a a problem that the food industry in general has rather fallen into as well. So it is true that from about 2012 to 14 onwards, the number of people who were reducing their meat intake, people who feel like flexitarians, that was increasing. It went up quite sharply. By 2020, it was about 23% of people, roughly. Um, were reducing their meat intake. And that's a number we found ourselves from our own five-country survey, and we survey United States, Australia, Spain, UK, and Brazil, very similar to the numbers from other people surveying consumers. So that got to 23% by 2020. 2022, it's a different story. The increase has gone from 23% of people to 24%. In other words, all the people who are thinking about becoming meat reducers had already started doing it. And while the number of meat reducers is increasing, it's increasing very, very slowly. And the difficulty a lot of companies had and their investors was they just assumed that what looked like rapid growth figures five or six years ago would just somehow magically continue going in a straight line. What they failed to take into account is that people's beliefs about food and health and about sustainability are extremely fragmented. People's views are diverse. We live in diverse societies. It's made possible by the fact that people have access to huge amounts of information through, through their phone. We have access to more information on the web about food, about health, about sustainability, more information we've ever had in the whole of human history. And people arrive at their own conclusions about what works for them. No, if they decide they're going to try as part of meat reducing eating a substitute burger, then they discover that that's a bit disappointing. And what did they do instead? Well, maybe they just eat more vegetables. Maybe they just eat more natural proteins like nuts and legumes. And the fact that these burgers were up against competing with natural, simple proteins in the form of whole foods is something that the smart guys behind these businesses, and yes, they are all guys, thought didn't matter. It never occurred to them. There might be people who would choose real food over highly processed food. What's the other thing that the meat substitute makers did wrong? Well, they thought they were going to become mass market super quickly. So I've already said what the percentage market share is that meat substitutes have got. That's you know 1.4% in the US. That is a niche. It could become a big niche. And in fact, we as a company thought that it might get to be a little bit bigger than that, but still niche. Because of the problems of unfamiliarity and tastes and so on. Possibly this mistake was a consequence of the investors who are all financiers or people from Silicon Valley who literally know nothing whatsoever about food or the food supply or consumers or food culture wanting a rapid return on their investment. And if you've ever sat down with people in the investment community, as I've done on many occasions, what you find is that they are always rushing to get to the highest sales target they can as quickly as possible. So, with products that weren't really yet right, they all rushed to market to get the biggest sales possible. Telling the stock market, telling anyone who would listen that their intention was to appeal to the mass market consumer. What would have been better would have been to have taken their time, to have recognized they were starting out with a niche product and begun by selling to smaller, targeted groups of consumers, to people who were highly motivated. And they could have got feedback from those people and figured out how to make the products taste better, maybe, or have shorter ingredient lists, generally being a bit cleverer. And then over the course of time, gradually evolved from niche to big niche. And then who knows, maybe one day mass. But they didn't. Now, not all companies selling plant-based meat substitutes made this basic mistake. If you want to see an example of a company who really does it right, there's an Australian company called Fable Food. And they're not selling ultra processed lumps of gunge held together with multiple ingredients. They're selling meals based on mushrooms. Nice and simple, straightforward, easy for people to understand and natural. And they're pretty clear that you're buying something based on mushrooms. And they've created a ranges of ready meals like um, lasagnas and carries and things, using mushrooms as the ingredient that gives that pleasurable meaty taste. And very wisely they didn't just rush straight into the supermarkets, they went to the restaurant trade and they made their mushroom ingredients available to upscale chefs. Now the the chef who's probably best known, who really liked the quality and the taste of what they produce, is a guy called Heston Blumenthal. He decided to use their mushroom ingredients in his recipes and Fable Foods got itself on the menu of fairly upscale restaurants in the United States, Singapore, Australia, and the UK. They made themselves aspirational. They're focused on taste and pleasure. And as a consequence, people began to buy their product. And then guess what? Later on, they were able to start to go into mainstream supermarkets. Now, this is not rocket science. That's actually a really normal strategy for the food industry. And it's particularly important if you're talking about something to do with better nutrition. It's to take your time, get to know your consumer slowly, build up quickly. None of the plant substitute people did that. However, here's the bad news. The plant substitute products that are mostly being sold would not have actually been able to do what Fable Foods did. And why is that? Well, once we get past the problem that they don't taste very good and accept that you know maybe there's a way of doing that, there is the technical challenge, which is that plant proteins are not very soluble. It's not easy to f- incorporate them inside something else in a way that tastes good. If you put them inside a bakery product, that's fine. But just to make a sort of burger like thing is actually really difficult to do well. It's certainly impossible to do without holding, using lots of other ingredients to make the product stick together. And then there's the nutritional problem because, of course, plant proteins are, whisper it softly because it's heresy, second class proteins. But they may have the same breadth of amino acids as animal protein, but they don't have the same quantity, and they're also not so bioavailable. Plus, meat substitutes don't come with a package of nutrients that comes naturally inside with an animal protein product. Now, perhaps the market for plant-based burgers and sausages can start growing again, but that won't happen until the companies making those products figure out how to make them taste better. With fewer ingredients, they're going to need to sit down and think about their food technology, if you like. And maybe they can take a leaf from the companies like Fable selling products based on something as simple as the mushroom. In the food industry, the reality that plant-based substitutes has failed is going to be very difficult for a lot of people to embrace. And, And you can understand why that is. Many food industry executives have been completely misled by the PR campaign of the past few years. They've been misled by consultants and deep pocketed investors who were just thinking of their own financial gain and were pushing the message that meat substitutes would be a big success, even though the state of the technology, the poor taste, the clash with food culture all said that that was not going to be easy by any means. And everyone simply swallowed this message that meat substitutes were on some path of inevitable linear sales growth. There was never a shred of evidence of any kind to back up the claims made by companies, by investors or by consultants that meat substitutes were a huge growth area. Literally none. The only thing that people ever looked at was the increase in the number of people reducing meat in their diet. And that went through its growth phase and it has hit its inevitable plateau. Do I mean What do I mean by Inevitable all ideas in food and health plateau at somewhere between 25 and 30% of the population. The days when an idea spread to the entire population and everyone embraced it, they're over because people have such diverse beliefs. To give you an example, consuming fewer carbohydrates is something that more people have done in some countries in recent years on the basis that that helps with weight loss or blood sugar management. And if you look at the figures, there was a growth of that. From about 2014, 15 onwards, and guess what? It's plateaued at about 26, 27 percent of the population, and is showing, at the moment, little sign of growth beyond that. Whether you're talking about lower carb or meat reducing, all ideas have a natural ceiling in terms of the number of people who find them appealing and are willing to change their diets and their lifestyle in order to to follow that belief system. What happened with meat substitutes, which has happened with them more than any other area, is there was a, a massive PR campaign created an echo chamber, an echo chamber in which everyone repeated exactly the same thing with no thinking, no information about what was really happening with consumer belief, no understanding of food culture. If you want to find you know, an idea of a, a product which is utterly in conflict with the food culture that you find around the Mediterranean, you know, the, the famous Mediterranean diet that we all know is so healthy, it's plant based meat substitutes. And it's no surprise that in France, for example, sales of meat substitutes have actually been declining already as well for the past six or seven months. It's also the case that consumers, a small but at the moment growing percentage of consumers, are actually really motivated by real food. Now, we're not talking about some sort of technical or legal definition of real food. It's what's in people's heads. It's their perception of a whole food or a natural food. And this is a a consumer trend that's been developing over the past four or five years. And everything the meat substitute people have been doing is directly contradictory to that emerging trend, which looks as if over the next few years, it's going to be by far the more powerful one. Than any desire people might have to eat meat alternatives. Now I said at the beginning that the Financial Times in the UK had um, pointed out that this whole category was now declining, and it wasn't uh, what at all was expected. The Wall Street Journal has said the same thing. They focused on the company called Beyond Meat uh, with the headline "Beyond Meat is Beyond Hope," and have pointed out that the company is probably only a few months from running out of money. It's a company which, by the way, Every dollar of product it sells costs it $1.70 to make. That doesn't sound like a really intelligently run business. But Beyond Meat and most of the other companies simply went along with an idea which came over from Silicon Valley, which is build sales and profits will follow. Anyone who's had anything to do with the food industry, which is a low margin, ultra competitive, low growth business, knows that a model like that cannot be applied to food and yet the investment community ignored any wisdom on the subject and thought that that's what they could do. Now some of you will be thinking but what about sustainability? Surely plant-based meat substitutes are more sustainable than meat. Well sorry to tell you this but they haven't been making a very good case of demonstrating that they are more sustainable than meat. In late 2021, for example, the New York Times interviewed analysts, stock market analysts who were focused on sustainability, and the New York Times said this, some analysts say they cannot determine if plant-based foods are more sustainable than meat because the companies are not transparent about their emissions. Close quotes. Uh, The New York Times named Beyond Meat and Impossible as two of those companies, they interviewed analysts who said that Beyond Meat and Impossible seemed to them to be no more sustainable than big meat producers like the Brazilian giant JBS. You have to remember that what we've been told about the sustainability of meat substitutes was largely marketing. It's very hard to find objective information that justifies any of the sustainability claims, as the New York Times pointed out. And then in 2022, in the UK, the biggest supermarket chain called Tesco marketed the sustainability of its plant-based meat substitutes. And what happened? The advertising regulator told them they had to drop the the claim of sustainability. And this is what they said. The regulator said they banned six ads for meat substitutes. Quote, some plant-based products may contain a combination of ingredients which may have been subject to complex production processes having a similar or greater negative environmental impact than meat. Tesco was not able to come up, despite being a giant food retailer, one of the biggest in the world, was not able to come up with information that satisfied the regulator that their plant-based products were more sustainable. Again, here's a quote from the regulator's report. Tesco did not hold any evidence in relation to the full life cycle of the products in its plant chef range. So it wasn't just that they were greenwashing with boldness, it was that they didn't have any evidence. So if you're disappointed that plant-based hasn't done well because you think it's more sustainable, don't be. No one's been able to prove that it was. Now, some people in the investment world are getting their excuses lined up and saying, oh, it's because of the burst of inflation that we've had. That's why we can't compete anymore, because of inflation. And indeed, that was reported in the Financial Times article. Um, but that's a fantastic excuse. It's it's true. There is inflation. But everyone's energy costs are increasing. Everyone in the food industry, whether they're farmers or processors, is encountering higher energy costs. And for the meat-based substitute burger makers, it's even worse. Because if you're using 15 to 20 specialty ingredients, all produced in factories that use a lot of electricity, and most of those ingredients come from monoculture, which is based on using fertilizer the price of which has gone through the roof you have no chance at all of being able to sell the product at a lower price point in fact your situation may be worse than that of people producing proteins from dairy or from meat because they have simpler ingredients their energy inputs are lower their fertilizer inputs may be lower further up the supply chain but if you're an investor in meat substitutes, it's a great excuse to make for the time being. There was nothing wrong with our strategy. It was all because of the inflation. But remember what I said before even before the inflation came along, the fact that it didn't taste good, they were targeting the wrong consumers, people just didn't like them, and they weren't sustainable, and the nutrient profile isn't great, all these things were having an adverse effect on sales. The inflation has merely administered the coup de grace for a badly thought out category with companies with badly thought out strategies rushing at speed to get sales with no thought as to whether they could be economically viable, even in the good times. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it informative and I look forward to talking to you again soon. If you'd like to know more about us, please go to our website, which is www.new-nutrition.com. Thank you. Have a great day.